5 p.m. in the five boroughs. That means it's time for Max and Murphy. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. Hey, this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Good to see you, Jarrett. You too, Ben. Today we will hear from candidates in one of those state Senate races, uh, John Liu and Senator Tony Avella. This is one of the Democratic primaries involving a former member of the Independent Democratic Conference. This is the 11th district out in far eastern, northeastern Queens. The first is on the line now. He is a candidate for state Senate in the 11th district. Democrat John Liu, you're on WBAI. Welcome to the show. Yeah, great to be on. Thanks, fellas. Good to talk with you again. You guys are pretty cool, too. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette (laughs) with Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. So uh, I'll call you Controller Lou. That was the last position you you held uh, in city government. You're also obviously a member of the city council. Yes, and you're actually pronouncing it right. Ah, yes. I, I try to, like... Combine the M and the N, controller, controller, you know, and just uh, skate by. (laughs) Anyhow, so you're running for state Senate. You are challenging in a primary a sitting state senator who is also from the Democratic Party, uh, Tony Avella. Or so he says. We'll get get into that. You also challenged him in 2014, came up slightly short, uh, fairly close race. So you're back again four years later to do it. Uh, in brief, again, sort of elevator pitch style. Why are you running in this election, in this in this primary, especially in a year when many people are focused on flipping Republican seats, Democrat? Why challenge someone from within your own party? Well, first of all, unfortunately, Abel is not really from my own party. I'm a proud Democrat, always been a Democrat. I'm a true Democrat, and I'm not someone who's going to hand the power of this uh, control over the Senate over to the Republicans, which is exactly what Abella's done. In 2014, when he first joined this so-called IDC that helped give the, the Republicans control over the Senate, I was absolutely livid, as well as many other Democrats were, and I jumped into the race against him. As you mentioned, I came up a little bit short. Uh, this time, 2018, this is now the time of Trump. People are awoke. They are active. There's this true blue wave sweeping across New York and the rest of the country. And you know what? Frankly, I'm caught up in the blue wave, blue wave of Democratic activists who are absolutely devastated about what's happening in this country and even in the state of New York. And so I want to hold this senator accountable for really single handedly giving much of the control over his district that should have been under Democratic control in the Senate and handing it over to the Republicans. Lots of legislation, legislation that the people of New York State want, given that the people of New York State elected a Democratic majority for many years in the Senate. And yet that those Democratic priorities were overruled because Republicans who were given control by Avella and the IDC members, they refused to call these important bills up for a vote. And I'd love to talk about those if you guys will bring them up. Yeah, please do, because obviously now the IDC is officially no more. It's all one big happy family, and the Democrats have the numbers they have, and those may increase or decrease come November. But in terms of policy issues going forward, are there areas where you and Senator Avella disagree? I will say that most of the bread-and-butter Democratic issues, we there is not a huge amount of daylight between us. We're both for, uh, pro-choice. We're both pro-tenant. We're both pro-immigrant, we're, you know, we're, we have similar issues. The problem is that I truly believe in doing as much as possible to advance these issues, whereas he's traded his beliefs in these issues away for more perks, more money for his office, more money to throw around 
in the district at the expense of what? At the expense of billions of dollars of priorities, such as education funding that should have come to this district in Northeast Queens, as well as to the rest of the state. You know, public schools that that clearly need the money. There are other issues. I'm sorry, you mentioned the issues. Let's talk about the issues. Let's say right now we have a Supreme Court that is about to, you know, in worst case scenario, which is unfortunately not that unlikely, going to overturn the Roe v. Wade precedent. And yet here in New York State, we don't even have codified a woman's right to choose. A bill, the Reproductive Health Act that was passed every year by the state assembly for many years, but was not even voted on in the state Senate because the Republican leadership, which was empowered directly by Avella and the IDC, refused to even call the bill up for a vote. That's just one issue that is right on our radar right now. Another issue that is, I guess, maybe hits home more locally, the idea that children are no longer going to be protected from speeding drivers because the speed cameras have been turned off. Why have they been turned off? Because, once again, the legislation to extend the the speedy cameras was passed in the state assembly. But in the state Senate, it was not even called up for a vote. Again, Republicans refused to call the bill up. How were they able to have that control, even though for many years they were in the minority because of Avella and the IDC members that gave that directly gave them the control? So, so to- people are being affected on a daily basis, as well as on many of the big issues that we as Democrats believe in. I'm a Democrat. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to to pass this legislation in the state Senate. Avella could have been doing the same thing, but he didn't. He well, instead what would you opted for more do- money to throw around. Right. What would you have had him do? You know, the, the IDC response to that, of course, is that the Senate Republican conference with the addition of Simka Felder, who's not part of the IDC, sort of just doing his own thing and joining the Republican conference, even though he's elected as a Democrat in Brooklyn, he gave them a one-seat majority without the IDC, and the IDC sort of just agreed to a power-sharing agreement to bolster that majority in exchange for, as you said, some perks and also, you know, often quite a bit of funding to bring home to their districts, you know, sort of pork by another name. Uh, what would you have had him do in that situation? What what they're saying now about Felder and Felder giving the Republicans the controlling majority that is a happenstance that's only valid for these last few months. What about the past seven years? Felder was not the one that gave the Republicans the majority. For seven years, it's been the IDC, a handful of turncoat Democrats that gave the power over to the Republicans. And this idea that it's a power-sharing arrangement, I'm really tired of hearing or reading that because it's not a power-sharing arrangement the power to the Republicans. The Republicans then decide once in a while, almost as a gratuity, to throw the IDC members a couple of bones here and there. But it's not a power-sharing agreement. They gave control over the Senate to the Republicans, even though for seven years the Republicans were clearly in the minority. So we're on the phone with State Senate candidate John Liu, and if you want to call in and ask a question, the number is 347-335-0818. Comptroller Liu, I want to refer to uh, your your last citywide race where a campaign finance decision went against you, a very controversial one, and campaign finance has come up this year in your race, uh, filings late to the state, and at this point, uh, I think something like $1,200 reported uh, in your account at last report 
about a hundredth of what Tony Avella has. That's not an indication of your, <laughs> qua- right. of your quality as a person, but it does go to the question of whether how viable your, your race is. Are you going to be able to run a serious race? Uh, absolutely. I announced my campaign that I was running for state senate on August 13th after an, an, an impressive effort put together by a coalition of Democratic activists putting me on the ballot with 3,000 signatures in a week's time. Right, you were kind of recruited And so last I night. announced my candidate candidacy on August 13th. The filing, the campaign filings filing was as of August 12th. So as July, August July 12th, we're talking I wasn't July, even a candidate. Right. Oh, I'm sorry, July 12th. That's right. I, I uh, announced my candidacy on July 13th. The filing was as of July 12th, and we did file on time. Apparently, there was some kind of glitch as soon as, soon as we realized there was a glitch we refiled it just as we had done on the 16th when it was originally due as far as the 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 so-called campaign finance issues from my mayoral campaign in 2013 look i paid the price by getting my campaign derailed but after years years of of investigating me listening in on my phone conversations interrogating thousands of my supporters i have never been accused of anything. Even though there were plenty of insinuations and innuendos, I've never been accused of anything. So there's plenty more to discuss there and also about uh, issues in your race, but we want to bring on a caller. Uh, you're on the line. Uh, you're on WBAI. Who's this, and what's your question for John Liu? Hey, this is a man who I support wholeheartedly and with my energy because I've certainly campaigned and walked many blocks through Bayside and other areas for him, John Liu. This is Mo from Harlem, and I just want to say I will definitely support you uh, this time around. I used to live in Bayside, so I still have a, you know, I know a lot of people out there. And um, okay, Mo. I will try to turn people into, you know, support him. He's, he's a great guy. I wish he would have won the last time. But anyway, I want to say this, though. Um, in terms of uh, running for the office, I just want to know what other, um, like, types of, um, I just want to know, I guess, more things that are against um, just IDC. I'm hearing more about it. More. It's, it's, it's coming out more, you know, so it's getting more popular about the IDC and what they did. It, they basically turn coats. So I think I we, I think we get you, the Mo. gist, Mo. Thank, 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 you. thank you for yeah. calling. Uh, so, Comptroller Lou, I, I want to move to um, an issue uh, that you'll, if you're elected, you'll probably have to deal with, which is this question over changing the admissions process to the city's specialized high schools. You've uh, expressed some opinions on this. Uh, if you could, you know, the mayor de, yeah, Bla- sure. mayor de Blasio, uh, you know, has put forth a plan to move away from the single, uh, the single test admission to these eight schools. Uh, what is your take on that? And do you think there should be any change in the admission process? For, for, first of all, let me thank Mo for being out there. I hope to meet him one day soon. As far as de Blasio's plan on the SHSATs and the admissions to the specialized high schools, it is an absolute ridiculous proposal that he's put out. I don't even think he was serious about it. He was just kind of reacting to a report that, that was not a, not a good report to read. But nonetheless, to throw out this proposal that was ill thought out, that had no chance of passing the state legislature, and completely eliminated any consideration for the Asian American population, which by now is a pretty significant and important part of New York. It was not a plan, so I'm absolutely dead set against it. The admissions test has been around for about 50 years. I've taken it. My whole family's taken it. My wife, our son, my brothers, and oh, by the way, we passed, and we went to these schools. Now, I do believe that when you have 
an entering class of 900 students in one school and only 10 of them are African-American. We have to look at that. There's an issue where there's a decreasing amount of diversity in these schools. But the problem isn't just in these top three or even the top or even in these eight specialized high schools. It is pervasive throughout the entire school system. So you have a situation where decades of segregation needs to be fixed. And in fact, de Blasio campaigned on the fact that he was going to fix this desegregation. Five years into his mayoralty, he's got nothing to show for that except this ridiculous proposal that has only served to divide communities. So just the to worst be clear, thing about is, this, this proposal is the, the number one thing, thing that you would do to, to work to desegregate the schools at younger ages in order to help prepare students better for the specialized high school test? That is something that I think is one of the main causes of the shrinking diversity among the high schools, because you have seen the last 10, 20 years an elimination or dwindling of the programs that had been successful in getting students to achieve academically and therefore having a more proportionate amounts or levels of the entire school population in New York City getting into these high schools. So I believe that there's a very strong correlation between the uh, the erosion of these kinds of programs, academic excellence programs, enrichment programs, and the uh, dwindling enrollment or the, uh, the dwindling diversity within these top high schools. We're almost out of time, uh, which is really too bad. But I do want to ask about another issue. You know, when you ran for mayor, you were uh, out front on a lot of the criminal justice reform issues that have since become uh, taken up by a broader segment of the political class. Uh, If you go to Albany as a state senator, is criminal justice reform still on your agenda? And what are quickly some areas you feel the state might make some improvements there? Uh, Absolutely. Criminal justice. Criminal justice is not about criminal justice is about our society as a whole and it ref- how how we treat everybody including the people who have made mistakes reflects on us entirely as a society a couple of specific proposals i certainly was in favor of raise the age i think it should have been it should have happened a lot sooner and it would have happened a lot sooner if andrew stewart cousins the democratic leader of the senate had been the majority leader if not for the idc we also have issues with, with regard to bail reform I think it's absolutely true that bail reform only it only helps I'm sorry the bail system only helps the rich and it does nothing it penalizes people who cannot afford to put up that bail there's there's really no need for it nowadays when people can be tracked down very very easily so and then well, finally if, we also and I'm sorry go ahead finally go ahead Last and one. and finally we also I think that we need marijuana reform and this is something that I proposed uh, while I was controller um, we we actually had a mayoral debate where apparently all of my opponents had at some point in their lives smoked some weed, um, although I had never actually smoked any weed, and I, I almost felt a little bit geeky about that. <laughs> have you rectified that I have that no sense? plan to start smoking pot, No, but I think that the disparate treatment and impact, especially on communities of color, the fact that doctors and scientists say that marijuana is no more harmful or addictive than alcohol. I mean, you know, nobody gets into a, a, so is that, a is, drunken range we're gonna have to let you by, go, but by is, being high on pot. Is that an argument for rec- then, recreational legalization? 
is, is are do, you asking me is that my argument? No, yeah. Do you believe in, yeah. re, in legal? Yes, okay. absolutely. Okay. Just making sure when and you also, said marijuana because, reform, look, that's drink what you meant. Alcohol. I think alcohol, according to the scientists and doctors, have much more harmful effects. Understood. And then so, finally, instead of you know, instead of requiring people to go into the criminal un- underground to secure their marijuana, let's legalize it, regulate it, and tax it. The amount of tax revenues we can generate from the sale of legal marijuana is more than enough to pay the tuitions of all CUNY students. Let's, you know, thank you. Students. We'll, we'll have to leave it there, Mr. Lou. Sorry, we're running tight on time, but thank you very, very much. That's John Lou, a Democrat running for state Senate. And we'll be back in just a second with Senator Tony Avella. And we're back on Max and Murphy on WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org here with my partner, Ben Max from GothamGazette.com. Just spoke to John Liu. We hear from Tony Avella, we believe, in, in mere seconds. But uh, making the same argument, many have made that the IDC missed an opportunity uh, for Democrats to make progressive change. The argument is about whether the numbers actually support that uh, that argument or not. Well, there's, there continues to be a little bit of a question, and it was something I try to challenge uh, Controller Lou on a little bit, is that you know the IDC wasn't, hasn't necessarily throughout its existence given the majority to the Republicans. There's been this question of uh, Simca Felder making the Republic, you know, not party, but just sort of being willing to go wherever he can get the most uh, in terms of perks, and questions around whether if the IDC had stayed with the mainline Democrats, if they would have been able to lure Felder to their side as opposed to bolstering that Republican majority. We have a chance now to ask that of a former IDC member, the incumbent senator from the 11th District uh, in Queens, Senator Tony Avella. Senator, welcome to WBAI. Let's get right to that question. Do you regret joining the IDC? No. At the time, it was the appropriate thing to do. I mean, I'm glad to be back with the Democratic Conference, and hopefully we'll get the majority after the November election. So tell us a little bit more. I mean, how is how has first of all, you know, you can fold it into just a general explanation of your case for reelection. But how has making that decision enhanced your ability to represent your constituents or deliver for your district? Well, remember that we Democrats have been in the minority now for a while. When I was first elected to the Senate, everybody thought I would be the one to keep the majority but I was the only Democrat to beat a Republican incumbent in the entire state in 2010. And unfortunately, the Democrats lost a number of seats, and that's when we lost the majority. Um, you know, from my perspective, as long as I didn't change my positions, as long as I voted the same way, why not be in a position to work with everybody to get some things done until we get the Democratic majority? And that's why I joined. It allowed me to pass legislation that would not have normally got passed. And is not only for for my district, but for issues that I was concerned about, as well as the bigger issues like, you know, paid family leave, raise the age. And it also allowed me to bring money back to my district, which was solely needed, especially for education. In the past three years, I have passed the most bills in the Senate of any Democratic senator in the Senate. I mean, that's something. Now, we're back in the Democratic conference and we all look forward to a majority. In, you know, in January. What do you think about the case the Democrats make statewide? 
especially in some of those districts that have been swing districts that have not gone the blue way in recent years. Do you think that the message is correct? Is it in tune with what working class voters are, are thinking and talking about? Yeah, I, definitely. Uh, you know, first of all, we're obviously not happy with what's going on in Washington and the president. Um, it's each and every day. It's another ridiculous thing that he says. I'm like, you know, when I first heard he was running in the presidential campaign, I thought, well, he's he's never going to win the Republican nomination. Then when he run the, you know, uh, won the Republican nomination, I said he's never going to win. And yet here we are. Um, I think it has mobilized a lot of Democrats to know to get out there and vote and hopefully within New York State uh, get a Democratic majority in the Senate, which has stopped a lot of good things from happening, which we all want, especially like codifying Roe v. Wade. Um, that has to be done, J1, in, in January, hopefully with the Democratic majority. problem is the Republicans will never do it, so we need to do it by electing Democrats. So talk a little bit more about what that agenda should look like. Obviously, that's one example of what uh, you know a number of Democrats are talking about as being what they would want to accomplish if there's full Democratic control of the executive branch and the two houses of the legislature. What else is at the top of your list? Well, codifying Roe v. Wade is at the top of my list. Um, I've been you know very active on the environment. There are a whole lot of environmental bills that I've been trying to work on and get passed, like the toxic toy bill, um, which... Is, is a very simple bill just to require uh, toxic chemicals that are in children's toys to have a disclaimer on the toy. And we couldn't get the Republicans to do that. I mean, there are some simple things you would think that would be nonpartisan that they would never do. Um, there's a lot of tenant uh, legislation that we need to do. Uh, you know, we could be busy for the first, for the whole session, just catching up on things that should have been done 10 years ago. Senator, throughout your career as a, as a city council member, as a candidate for mayor in 2009, you've always been a person who you know, set out to challenge the system, especially the role of money in politics. I'm curious, the dispute that's arisen between the Board of Elections and some of the former IDC candidates about money raised by this committee that was associated with the Independence Party, there's been a call for some of that money to be returned. Do you plan to return the money? How do you feel about having use that money in previous races? Does that clash with your previous record, sort of questioning the role of money in politics? Well, unfortunately, money is involved in politics. I've always been trying to lead the fight to change the laws so we can take out huge amounts of money from the political situation. Um, the court decision in this situation stated, the judge stated that all that had to be done to rectify the situation was to not have a member who not to have a member who was not a member of the Independence Party on the board for this campaign committee. That was actually done months before the judge came down with their decision. That is all the court decision says. And, and anybody who thinks it says something else should actually read the court decision. Right. So, so the so the second step of that is is now Risa Sugarman, who's the this enforcement counsel at the state board of elections. She's the one, really. It's not. It was not the judge, as you're saying. It. She's the one that's really called on uh, the membership of your former conference to uh, to return this money. Your opponents, this coalition of your opponents, has um, you know is getting together to say this is ill-gotten funds that that needs to be returned. So you disagree with the the state board of elections uh, enforcement no, council? I don't. This, the state board of elections has not, to my knowledge, officially said that. 
She has the enforcement counsel, right, right? Yeah, right. there's a difference. Sure. Um, again, she's relying on the court case, which doesn't say that. So, when somebody actually notifies me, or I get some official document from the state board of elections that says I need to take certain actions, I will definitely do it. I mean, I'm the good government guy. I've always been the good government guy. But because one person comes up and misinterprets um, the decision of the court for whatever reason, that doesn't cause me to, to take action, an official thing, which I've never gotten. Speaking of good government, uh, in the past few months, there have been some significant trials involving corruption allegations, some convictions involving associates and appointees of Governor Cuomo. What do you think of those, and what do you think of Cuomo's record on clean government, good government? I think the governor has tried his best to push through government reform, but the Republicans have not been interested. I mean, we have been trying to do campaign finance reform since the day I got there, and I think the governor's been doing it too. But you run up against the stone wall with the Republicans. You know, and by the way, I'm very proud of the fact that the U.S. Attorney's Office, and then that was when Prahipahar was there, um, asked me to testify in the Skelos case for the state about what the Senate does and, and how, you know, disgraceful what Senator Skelos, former Senator Skelos did. I testified in the first trial and I testified in the second. So I consider it like a little badge of honor in terms of good government that I stepped forward um, and that they thought I was the appropriate person to talk about what the Senate does and to show the difference between myself and Senator Skelos. I want to ask you about the, um, this, the, a lot of discussion over the admissions process to the city specialized high schools. But before I get to that, just quickly back to the governor. I'm just curious, you know, I've watched this very closely. I, I'm not sure I've seen what you've seen, and maybe you've seen things more behind the scenes, but what exactly have you seen in terms of the governor really trying to push through ethics reform and campaign finance reform? Because I haven't really seen that very much publicly. Well, then maybe, well, you know, it's hard to me for me to describe individual situations. I can just tell you, in, in this is the end of my you know eighth year, um, that I've seen him and talked to him and his staff, along with other senators and, and I'm sure the assembly members, about trying to do more in terms of good government and reforming the campaign finance system. So, uh, I mean, I I believe he has done as much as he can given the fact that the Senate was controlled by the Republicans. So on the specialized high schools, uh, this is obviously, you know, Mayor de Blasio sort of really pushed this debate that's always been simmering and has popped up here and there. He pushed it into another gear by putting out a proposal to phase out the single test admission for the eight specialized schools, especially with the three sort of marquee schools where it's, you know, definitively state law that they need to rely on this test. Uh, what's your take on that? And, and do you want to see any change to the admissions process? Well, I support the test. There's a significant issue in terms of diversity in the specialized high school. No question. The problem is not the test. The problem is we're not educating kids at the elementary and intermediate level so they have the equipment and the tools and the resources to pass the test. Um, I introduced legislation just recently to, rec to mandate that the city of New York have gifted and talented programs in every school district in the city of New York, which is not the case right now, and that elementary and intermediate schools, wherever there's four classes per grade, have an advanced class. 
this is what we should be doing to give the kids at the earlier grades, you know, the, the expertise to pass the test later on. What I found fascinating was if you look at the map of the school districts where there are no gifted and talented programs, it's the minority areas. That's why there's this disparity. We're not giving minority children the education they need. Getting rid of the test is not the solution. I mean, in my opinion, it's pandering. Well, we'll let's, have to... let's come up with a real with a real solution to make sure that every kid in every school is getting the best resources and has the most opportunity to succeed. That, to me, is the solution. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much, Senator Tony Avella, Democrat running for re-election in the 11th District in Queens. Thanks very much for being on, Max and Murphy. Sure. Thanks a lot for having me. Take care. So that wraps up a very busy show here on Max and Murphy. We heard from Sean Patrick Maloney, Democrat for Attorney General, and two Democrats vying for the same state Senate seat, John Liu and Tony Avella. And Ben, next week, will be focusing on another state Senate race. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun next week when we talk to, as I mentioned at the top of the show, challenger Zellner Myrie and sitting state Senator Jesse Hamilton, another of these IDC districts, hard-fought challenge, Democratic Party a bit at war. Uh, and we'll talk to those two candidates next week. Until then, keep following Tweet Ben Max and Jarrett Murphy on Twitter, citylimits.org, and gothamgazette.com on the web. We're Max and Murphy on WBAI 99.5 FM, listener-sponsored, non-commercial radio. Keep listening and get ready to vote. Black Star Film invites you to attend a special event in recognition of the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey. A first look at an excerpt of the work in progress on the life and contributions of Garvey will be shown. In addition, another excerpt of the award-winning documentary entitled Queen Nanny Legendary Maroon Chieftainess known for her valiant efforts defending against British incursion will also be screened. The event takes place Saturday, August 18th, beginning at 7 p.m. Charles Borromeo Auditorium, located at 211 West 141st Street in Harlem. Admission is free. For more information, email garvey2019 at gmail.com. do you think it costs to run a one-hour WBAI program four times a month? I really have no idea. Well, what do you think? Four times a month, maybe $2,000. So it actually costs $833 a month, $208 per hour, $833 a month. That's why we need your support. Please go to your smartphone and message 41444 and enter WBAI. Again, on your smartphone, if you can text 41444 and enter WBAI, you can become a WBAI listener sponsor, a WBAI buddy. And thank you. Money.
Whenever Ozzie Davis and Ruby Dee showed up to one someplace, they've always said, I'm here today because this is where I'm supposed to be here. Danny Glover at the Poor People's Campaign in Washington, D.C. on June 23rd. We're here today because this is where we're supposed to be at this moment as we fight injustice, as we fight on behalf of, of poor people in this country and also around the world. In this way, we remember ourselves, our sister, who was assassinated in Brazil, in Rio de Janeiro. Our sister, Mariela Franco, who led through it for LGBTQ people who are also doing that. So we know all of that. It goes beyond this, but we know we have to organize, organize, organize. The movement just doesn't sit right here in this moment. The movement we're building, the way we change this country, is going to be sustained activism. And I know that you're here today, you're here tomorrow, and you're in to the end till we win. This is listener-sponsored, non-commercial WBAI New York. All right, and once again, this is still WBAI in New York. 99.5 FM on your radio dial and and WBAI.org online. And the previous program was uh, the uh, 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 <laughs> Max and Murphy, which is heard uh, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. And really, this is one of the newer shows here at WBAI. And if you enjoy and appreciate what they have been offering and sharing with the listening audience so far, please consider becoming a financial supporter to this radio station right now by calling 516-620-3602. Once again, 516-620-3602 or go to give to WBAI.org online. That's give to the number two, WBAI.org online. Coming up in the 6 p.m. hour will be um, another uh, news brief from uh, the WBAI Evening News, followed by some brief uh, uh a truncated edition of Democracy Now! And then after that will be the uh, Trump Watch with Jesse Lent coming up um, at 6.30. And however you do it and whenever you do it, please consider becoming a financial supporter to this radio station. Once again, 516-620-3602. Now stay tuned for the WBAI Evening News with Paul DiVienzo. 